Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be skippering the podcast today. And along for the ride, the passenger, it's Tony Kerr. Morning. How are you doing, Tony? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Getting there. It's been a while, hasn't it? has been a while, It's been a while since we've we've done one of these. We finally managed to uh, get together on a Sunday morning. I just realised as I was arriving here that I uh, I promised to bring some croissants for, <laughs> the reco- for the recording, and I just didn't. Yeah, I just failed. So um, it's it's a bit of a sad, empty table in front of us. It is, uh, but no, it's 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 good to be back. It's good to be uh, back behind the microphone. It has been a little while, as we say. It's been busy times. You were you were hosting a black tie awards show this week. Yeah, blockbuster stuff. Channel Island Sports Awards on Thursday night, um, and I'm. Moving house, so uh, lots going on, and we should probably crack on because uh, I told Elena I was just <laughs> nipping out to B and Q to get some rule plugs. Yeah, it, it just becomes harder and harder to rationalise doing a podcast, doesn't it? When you acquire responsibilities to justify. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that, like, just to get away with it. You know, when we first started doing this, you know, neither of us had very much going on at work neither of us was in a relationship we really didn't have a lot going for us in our lives and it was much easier to to keep up a regular podcast schedule those were the days <laughs> <laughs> well anyway we might come back to some of that stuff at the end but let's uh let's dig in to the cricket because we've got lots to talk about today there's been some relatively momentous events in south africa where england have won a test series away from home so we'll be unpacking all of that there's also lots of stuff going on around the world super over drama in new zealand uh, and we're also going to be returning to everyone's favorite subject the mancad uh, but let's kick things off tone in south africa and it's time to celebrate you know obviously we're uh, completely impartial on this show uh, but that being said it's time to uncork the champers unfurl the bunting start a crowdfunding campaign to get Big Ben to bong because England have won a marquee test series away from home. So when last we spoke, Tone, things weren't looking too rosy for England in South Africa. They lost the opening test of the series, the Boxing Day test in Centurion to go 1-0 down. Pretty much the whole squad was laid up with a sickness bug. Just after that, Rory Burns injured himself playing football, had to depart the tour. And lots of people, including us, were beginning to you know really scrutinise Joe Root's captaincy, amongst other things. And it felt like they were really staring down the barrel of yet another disappointing test winter. Well, what a difference a few weeks make. We've got three tests to talk about. I'm not going to go into, you know, ball-by-ball ball detail of all of them. But the uh, the second test was in Cape Town, and England won that by 189 runs. The key contribution with the bat was from Dom Sibley, who made 133 not out 
in the second innings as England piled up 391 to set South Africa 438. And it was uh, it was tough going. It took them 137.4 overs. It went deep into the final session. And at one point, it really looked as though South Africa were going to hold on. That man, Ben Stokes, uh, came into the bowling attack, took the final three wickets uh, as South Africa were bowled out for 248 to give England the victory. The third test was in Port Elizabeth. England batted superbly uh, in the first innings of the match. They made 499 for nine declared with hundreds for Ben Stokes and Ollie Pope made in test century 135 not out. They then bowled South Africa out twice for 209 and 237 with wickets shared around. Uh, notably, five wickets for Don Bess back in the side, five for 51. And also in amongst the wickets, Mark Wood returning to the side. Wood continued his strong form in the fourth and final test. He was he was man of the match as South Africa were bowled out cheaply twice. England batting first again made 400 this time. Wood took five for 46 in South Africa's first innings and he picked up another four wicket haul, four for 54 in the second innings uh, to give England a really comprehensive win by 191 runs that followed that third test victory was by an innings and 53 runs. So not just winning these games, Tony, but winning them handsomely. Oh, that was uh, that was quite something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I drifted off a bit there. This is the other problem when we don't do a podcast for a while. <laughs> it's just, you know, you have to get through that. So um, give us some perspective then, Tony. On a, on a scale of quite to very, how significant is this test series win for England? Somewhat. <laughs> um, well, thankfully, is that more or less than quite? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Thankfully, we didn't record uh, yeah hugely reactionary pod after that first test defeat. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just glad we 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 didn't get together <laughs> to lay into almost every aspect of of England's setup. In fairness, we did use the phrase "wait and see" a few times. I think we yeah. we tried to keep our powder dry a little bit, but yes, I was calling for the heads of various members of the England team captaincy backroom stuff yeah um i mean i mean look it, it at that stage it was threatening to be well it could have been one of the all-time great calamities of a tour couldn't it it could have been at that point the illnesses which obviously that's no one's fault but yeah kind of derailed things you, you know the, the manner of the defeat you know yeah burns yeah, getting injured in in you know in comical fashion, sort of England's one bright spot almost at that well, mm. one of the few bright spots for England at that point. So it was threatening to go south pretty quickly. So well, people yeah. were talking about a curse, the cursed tour, weren't they? Yeah. Um, so the turnaround was pretty remarkable, uh, and I guess the, the fact that you know we've we've spoken for months or years about how England just yeah things haven't really seemed to develop for. The test side, they haven't sort of answered any questions. Suddenly, you know, you get to the end of this series um, and, and, and all the questions seem to have been answered. Um, <laughs> so not not quite, but certainly enough to suggest that things have, that there's a positive future in the short term, at it's least. It's definitely important not to be reactionary. Exactly. Isn't it? uh, no, we've, exactly. We've definitely learned our lesson. But but certainly, you know, you, you, you look down the, the list, you know, suddenly the, the top order... You know that they played with real solidity and yeah, and grit and and you know got the job done. You know middle order runs, route, you know scoring uh, scoring well. Obviously Stokes are you know a real star, of course. And then your know, lower order runs, which we haven't had for a while. The bowlers were great. You know Best taking a five for Archer taking five wickets. Anderson with a five wicket haul. 
um mark wood coming back and and being a being an absolute hero so uh, yeah I, i mean let's just enjoy it yeah so there's lots to to enjoy as an england fan and and yeah you're absolutely right it was things were in such a seemed to be in such a bad way after that first test so although we were saying let's wait and see it did feel like it was poised to go off the rails so it is it's an extraordinary turnaround and as you know i've been quite down on the england test team for quite a while really thought they'd been overrated for quite a long time and and worse than that perhaps because they'd been overrated by fans and media that they'd become deluded into thinking that they really were that good and they weren't necessarily seeing the problems that were there and so even when they were winning i didn't necessarily think they had were particularly impressive in winning now i'm not sort of eating my words because i think that is still that was still true but with a lot of caveats i do think things feel a bit different after this series and i'm much more optimistic about the england test team than i have been for a long time because as you say it feels like the we've got sort of not just answers but the right answers to the right questions in the summer like in the ashes series in the summer england were introducing new players or new uh, concepts that didn't really feel like you know they were trying to answer questions that didn't need answering if you see what i mean so like jason roy coming in to to try and you know to be a sort of dynamic white ball style opener at the top of the order was like not what england needed at all or just butler in a similar way playing as a specialist batsman as number seven as like a kind of meant to be sort of game changing swashbuckling player and that's not what England needed what they needed was some players who could some batsmen who could dig in uh, and grind out runs and it does feel like that's now what they're trying to do and, and we've seen that a bit in this series so, and young players or well, young batsmen Sibley, Crawley, Pope have all come in all scored important runs and they've done it in that way they've had to sort of play patiently they've had to leave the ball so Sibley uh, batted 311 balls and 497 minutes for that century in Cape Town it was exactly what England needed it feels a bit more like a proper cricket team when you just look at it on paper it feels like there's some logical thinking behind these selections yeah I mean yeah as ever let's not get carried away um, <laughs> you know there will be tougher tests yeah there, there will be tough, yeah obviously we'll come on to yeah, that, India yeah. and Australia tours to come um that, that, uh, you know, exciting prospects in their own way and, and huge challenges, obviously. Um, and, uh, you, know, and, you know, ahead of the series, we thought South Africa, you know, it's obviously not a vintage South Africa side, but they played so well in that first test. And, you know, what, whatever the, the makeup of the team as a whole, you know, when, when they've got Philando, Rabada, you know, Nokia, who I'm sure you, you're going to talk about in a bit, um, you know, you know, top players, top bowlers, then you've got to give a lot of credit to England, I think, for, for coming through uh, coming through the series in the way that they did, obviously third and fourth test, putting on you know 400 plus in the in the first innings, which we've been waiting ages for. So so yeah, that, that that's been hugely impressive. And obviously you know that it may have been slightly different that second test. You know South Africa were pretty close to holding on had it not been for some Stokes heroics. So you know if, if South Africa had saved that test, then you know, maybe things look slightly different for the rest of the series. So you know I think England you know owe him a, a, a you know a hell of a lot once again mm-hmm. and that you know that was an, an amazing finish and obviously it'd come off straight off the back of all the chat about four-day tests and and all that stuff and to to get a finish like that which was yeah just pure drama 
that one man show at the end to to win the game and, and it be Stokes again was was pretty special and, and obviously a rare win at Newlands. It was genuinely one of the most exciting bits of test cricket I've watched for quite a long time. And that's well, good for you because I was back at work. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I was trying to yeah, catch what I could. No, that 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 Zach Crawley catch for the final wicket where he kind of parried it up and caught it again and just the 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 pure euphoria that you saw on as the England players kind of started tearing around the field. It was fantastic to watch. Um, but as you say, it could easily have finished as a draw that game. And some other things went England's way, like Rabada being suspended. So, you know, they in some ways they had the rub of the green. But I don't think that takes anything away from how well they played, especially because the third and fourth tests, they were, you know, they were such comprehensive victories. They were, you know, they were miles ahead of South Africa. And, and it's easy now to talk about the problems in the South Africa team, which we're about to do. But it's not all about that. And as I say, it's the, um, it's the way they did it as well. And the, there's just a bit more sense about the selections. I think Ollie Pope is a really exciting addition. So he averaged 88 in the series, 350 plus scores in five innings. And he just looks like he belongs at test level, doesn't he? And he obviously has had a couple of goes at it before he sort of flitted into the team, you know, and didn't quite look like he was ready, but he's definitely ready now. It's just so kind of composed, unruffled at the crease. And, you know, lots of people made this point, but he has, he's, he's essentially Ian Bell, isn't he? He's like an Ian Bell clone. He looks like him. He really looks like Ian Bell when he's got the helmet on. Uh, but he bats like him as well. He actually is quite similar in the way that he bats. Uh, although arguably with a, a couple of extra gears from what Ian Bell had uh, towards the end of that 100, he was playing those sort of uh, T20 shots, ramp shots and, and stuff. And, you know, didn't see Ian Bell doing a lot of that. But that is really exciting. I hope they do keep him at six for a while. Just let him bed in there at six. Feels like a, such a natural position for him. Yeah, Michael Vaughan copping some stick for suggesting that they basically rip up this, you know, having found something that seemed to work or that, that looks at least promising that, that, you know, basically everything should change. And Right, what was he saying? What he was saying that, three. yeah, Banton should should uh, rip up his IPL contract uh, and be focused on trying to get in the test team and that Pope should immediately be hoisted up to three. <laughs> right. yeah. I mean, I can see the temptation and he does look like he might be a test match number three in the future, but just leave him where no he is rush. for now. There's no rush, exactly. No rush to do that. I think, I think what's, you know, what's particularly exciting and, and why it could be a game-changing series for England, um, you know, you look at those players, uh, Crawley, Sibley, you know, Curran obviously has got a little bit more experience. Bess, uh, all very young, um, all in and around 21, 22, uh, simply a couple of years older. But yeah, amazing experience for them and one that could have been a real, yeah, had things kind of followed on with the pattern from the, the first test, could have been a real like chasing experience and an unpleasant one that could have mm-hmm. turned quite nasty in a way. But in the end, it's presumably been a, yeah, in an amazing kind of bonding experience for that team. As we said before, you know, first century for Pope, uh, first century for Sibley, a Pfeiffer for Best. These are like, you know, obviously they're important milestones, which will kind of validate internally, though, you know, their kind of place in at that level. So, yeah, uh, really important stuff. The one thing I haven't enjoyed about this series is how it's made me feel really old. I mean, that so, is, uh, yeah, <laughs> that is something. Those players are so much younger than us. And then, like, the um, in the South African team, the sort of lone bright spots in the batting have been like Rassi van der Dusen and Peter Milan to an extent who came in and, and played a good innings. But people people have said, you know, that's 
good but they're both you know they're just so old they like there's these sort of old guys that they've brought back into the team on the wrong side of 30 i mean they're both 30 i think they were like three school years below us tone yeah they, like they, these are guys who probably listen to the world cricket show on the bus to school and they're now like they're now way too old to be making test debuts yeah the th- uh, yeah it is worrying <laughs> no one really prepares you for that just to to finish on on england the other really exciting thing so we talked about the batting but the the bowling as well those are the two things i suppose aren't they um but the the what now seems to be a kind of depth in fast bowling stocks is exciting obviously the addition of archer he's who struggled uh with injury in this series but mark wood coming back in i mean wood is just magnificent to watch when he bowls like that with that kind of searing pace he is as quick as archer and we obviously saw him do something similar in st lucia this time last year but he was just superb wasn't he? he was just steaming in and you can't help as an england fan but start to dream of australia really because he, he would be so effective in australia you would think you'd be such a weapon especially if you had archer as well wood and archer in the same team that suddenly seems like a bowling attack that could that could win england and ashes series in australia um they obviously last time they were there the the attack was so slow it was so difficult for them to to get any penetration but that is exciting but you know the question obviously is can he stay fit that's it it's kind of it's a beautiful but fragile dream isn't it um yeah wood yeah he is just awesome uh as you say yeah we, we saw him in st lucia which was his one test appearance was it one test appearance of the year i think so yeah yeah uh and he was bowling at sort of 96 something like that and being um, at the ground it was actually quite difficult to see the ball yeah um and so yeah for him to be back here yeah as you say and what, what he averaged 13 you know took 12 wickets in two matches mm. i mean and you would just hate to see you'd hate to face him I, yeah I, I think it is it's a hugely exciting prospect can they uh can he stay fit he was smashing it around with the bat as well. And he's yeah. just like he's just such a likable guy and such a good presence in that England team, I think, and does seem to lift his teammates. They all seem to love him. And, you know, I, he's such an asset for England, but it is just... I just really don't want to get too excited because... It's a long way... Well, it's probably, a relatively long way away, isn't it? Certainly Australia, but even just, you know, more immediately than that, like, will he play the next series? Will he be fit for the summer? You know, it's... Based on his track record, you have to say it's unlikely that he's going to stay fit for a long period of time but i suppose it's just just as england fans just enjoy it when he is fit just it's sort of see it as a bonus almost yeah quite i mean and that that's it it's that you know um well for for a little while australia have had these kind of these bowlers that well someone like pattinson you know bowlers that have kind of threatened and, and there's that always been that almost like specter that yeah they could pop up at any point and destroy you and I, I feel like it's yeah the fact that England have got there and that got that in their armory you know that will be playing on that will play on the minds of the Australians you know, heading into the ashes yeah that's true Pattinson's quite a good uh, comparison actually and and you know it might be the, well Cummins well, Cummins was obviously a bit younger but Cummins was someone who was just injured 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 for ages and then finally managed to sort himself out and you hope that Wood goes that way rather than the sort of Simon Jones route and it's it's not like it's either one or the other, <laughs> yeah. but but I had started to think of Wood as is he another Simon Jones or Shane Bond that he's just never he's never going to fulfil that promise because he just can't keep himself fit. But you know we can always dream, uh, and as I say, just enjoy it when he is. And yeah, I, I, I mean that that contradicts the podcast slogan of never dream. <laughs> so uh, you are getting carried away here, Adam, a bit. It begs the question: What is England's best seam attack at the moment? And does Jimmy Anderson even get in it? 
That's a question. Big chat. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think in that in our last pod, so, so I didn't suggest myself that anyone should be cut, but um, I said questions might start to be asked. Well, I don't know. Of yeah. who? Anderson? Of anyone? Broad? Of all? Of everyone? Um, broad bowled well, I thought. Yeah, Broad. Yeah, Broad did do a good job. I mean, obviously, Anderson at his best is the first name on the team sheet, but yeah, there's just there are questions now about his fitness and what his form will be if and when he does get himself fully fit. So given that there's potentially Wood and potentially Archer and Wokes bowled really well in this final game as well, you know, that it does feel like England could afford to lose Anderson now in a way that they couldn't have done even a few months ago. But that, yeah, that might be wishful thinking or it might be asking for trouble because, yeah, if Wood and Archer both struggle to get fit, then suddenly, you know, England are back to square one a bit. But yeah, I think, yeah, that might be... What's the uh, what's the word? Hubris. Yeah. Arrogant. Yeah. Given how fragile Wood potentially is, and yeah. and and yeah, you know, Archer as well potentially. I don't know. So yeah, let's 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 keep hold of Jimmy while we can. I think. Uh, just very quickly, we should mention Don Bess as well, who was really impressive. He, you know, was obviously left out of the final game because they felt that they didn't need a spinner. But in those two tests in the middle, he was excellent both taking wickets, he got that five-wicket haul in Port Elizabeth, but also holding down an end, just keeping things tight, going around two and over or less. And that's something that England haven't really had for a long time, even when Moeen Ali was at his best and taking wickets, he was generally more expensive than that. And I will hold my hands up and say, I really didn't think Don Bess would be capable of doing that. I thought maybe one or the other, or probably more likely hold up an end than take those wickets. But it was really good to see it was it's surprising because he can barely force his way into his county team, but he's obviously got something about it. The England selectors do seem to fancy him. It'll be interesting to see how he fares in Sri Lanka. I think when there's a bit more pressure on him to take wickets, so those that five wicket haul he took was, almost felt a bit like a bonus. But when you go to Sri Lanka and if he's if Leach isn't fit again and Moeen's still not back and Bess is England's frontline spinner on the subcontinent, you know then people will be expecting a lot more. So again, we need to sort of wait and see um not get too carried away but that was another exciting development amongst several others for england on this tour so when they play like that you feel like england could beat anybody but as i mentioned there are some caveats i don't want to burst anyone's balloon uh, but i do think it's important that we acknowledge those before we get too carried away so firstly England actually have a terrific record in South Africa over the last 20 years. So this is now four series in a row unbeaten uh, with three victories. So they won in 2004-05, they drew in 2009-10, they won in 2015-16 and now this. They've actually only lost four test matches in in that sequence. So there's obviously something about the conditions, about the pitches that England enjoy, that English players enjoy that the bowlers find it easier there than they do uh, in Australia or, or on the subcontinent. My point there just being that even when South Africa were good, England have tended to do well in South Africa this century. And the thing is that South Africa aren't very good at the moment. Would that be fair to say? Is this the weakest South Africa team you can remember? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in that South Africa team. I think when you looked at the the bowling attack after that first test, you'd have said, well, 
you know, it looks as good as it's not far off. Obviously, no stain, but <laughs> you would have said, <laughs> and in fact, <laughs> did you, you did say, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I don't think we should certainly play that in terms of the the run scoring that England produced this series. Yeah, I, I think you've got to you've got to give them a fair amount of credit because yeah, when you looked at what South Africa did in that first test, they they you know England were properly under the pump against Philander and Rabada and and Nokia. So. Um, that's true, although by the final test, neither was really there. Like, Rabada had been suspended. Yeah. Philander got injured. It, so the attack was like, Nokia, who will come on to, obviously did very well, but like Dane Patterson, Buren Hendricks, yeah. Dwayne Pretorius. You know, they're, so, they're, they're decent bowlers, but they're, it's not the Stane Morkel, Philander, Rabada attack of a couple of years ago. Yeah, it became more gentle. Um, no, uh, yeah, I th- and well, we spoke about it ahead of the series. I don't think any of that's really changed, has it, in terms of where South African cricket is? I mean, it seems like there's a bit more, given that you know the the, the sort of former players that they've they brought in ahead of the series, uh, you know, on the coaching side of things, and you know, in the background, maybe, yeah, maybe that's a sign that that they've, they're sort of there's a potential for a platform there to to move back in the right direction. Mm. Green shoots, it's the right, that, yeah, you know, they get the right people in the right places, maybe. Um, but yeah, certainly on on the field, you know, there's not many names in that. That's <laughs> there's the not many names. It's true. They have, yeah, they've they've lost a big heap of of world class players in the last couple of years, and it just feels like they're sort of wearing those absences pretty heavily at the moment. You're right that it feels like, or it certainly felt after the first test, like things could change. That there were, you know, that that there was a a pathway. But after watching these three games, it feels like it's it's going to be hard. I mean, they, they do still have some world-class players in that team. Philander's obviously retiring now, but Rabada will come back and he is, if not the best fast bowler in the world in the top three or four. They've got some very good batsmen as well. Dean Elgar and Fafdi Plessis on paper are world-class batsmen, but neither of them really turned up in this series. D Plessis, you would say, is really coming towards the end. I'm just be a bit worried about the state of their batting. Like, where are the young players? Obviously, make a joke about Van der Deesen and Milan. But it is true that they, you know, that when they've needed new players to come in, they've picked a couple of guys who are in their 30s. While the bowling looks better, you, at some point, the well is surely going to run dry. It, feel, it has felt like they could just bring in anyone. <laughs> I had all these fast bowlers to come in when, you know, they brought in Olifir when Morkel, was it when Morkel retired? And was fantastic. And then he went off to take up a contract, Colpac contract. They brought in Nokia. He's been fantastic. But, you know, they, presumably they can't keep doing that. I mean, I, I did want to mention Nokia because he took 18 wickets at 27. He was the leading wicket taker in the series on either side. But the question is, like having mentioned all of fear, the question is, like, will players like Nokia stick around? You know, obviously the, the Colpac situation is well documented. We've talked about it quite a bit on the podcast. There was more news on it this week with um, David Beddingham and Fahan Behardin have both just signed contracts to go and play for Durham. The worry is that, like, is the South Africa team becoming almost like a shop window now? Now, whether consciously or unconsciously, but someone like Anrik Norkia, I'm not saying necessarily that he thinks, yes, I want to play Test Cricket for South Africa so that I can get a Colpac county contract. But now that he has been so impressive, especially against England counties are going to be in for him and can South Africa hold on to him? You know, it's a real question. You know, so if it is the case that 
playing for South Africa, it becomes almost like a stepping stone towards going to play counter cricket. That is a terrible situation for the game. And it feels like we're heading there. Brexit might sort it out, but <laughs> uh, we can't, uh, you know, Brexit can't fix everything. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. Long, yeah. Um, we'll move on, I think, swiftly on that. No, well, if that, yeah, that, that's a, a pretty sorry picture, with, uh, you know, that you paint there. And, mm. you know, if, it, if that was the case, I think that would be fairly desperate for, well, cricket, obviously South Africa, not in the, uh, you know, not a, you know, welcoming the the big three clubs. So does anyone, you know, to the powers that we care? Well, really, yeah. If it was... Arguably not. It hasn't felt quite so precarious up till now because, because yeah, Olafir, like that was a, that that did feel really painful at the time that he went, but like someone else comes in and takes his place and Nokia has been really good. But when Rabada suspended you know, the changes they've made in the bowling, Dane Patterson and Buren Hendricks have done okay, but they haven't, you know, they, they don't look like they're going to, you know, be able to fill in those holes if if they do open up. So it's just, it is just a real concern. Uh, and I just increasingly think that it is a, it is a global problem and it needs a global solution. Like it, it's, it's on the ECB as much, if not more than Cricket South Africa to do something about it. I mentioned Fafti Plessis. I, I feel really sad for him. He had, he had a torrid series with the bat and as the captain. I do think he's a really likable guy and I think he's been a good captain for South Africa. So yeah, I mean, he got a lot of praise after that first test. Everything everything kind of went well and went right, didn't it? Uh, I mean, it possibly exposes slightly, you know, if you don't have the tools at your disposal, you know, it's, it's tough to wrangle a result out of it, isn't it? But it may well have been his last test series. He's talking about retiring after the World T20 in October. Bit of a sad way to bow out, but I do think he's been a, a good player, a, a good servant of South Africa, as they say. I've done a composite 11, Tone. Yes. <laughs> this is what it's all about, isn't it? This is why you wanted me to come today. That's <laughs> what I've been waiting for. Yeah. Well, amazingly, apparently, it's what the listeners have been waiting for as well. I've had a few people tweet demanding a composite 11. Give the people what they want. Go on, give it to it's us. It's always been my motto. So what I've done is I've looked at the two teams based on their performances in the series and I've picked one eleven, a sort of composite of the two. Uh, and this is what I've come up with. As openers, I've got Sibley and Crawley. I've got Van der Dusen at three. Then Root, Stokes, Pope. I've given De Kock the gloves. Uh, then I've gone Don Bess as the spinner. And then a three-man seam attack of Norkia, Wood, and Broad. So that's eight England players and three South Africans. How does that sound? Sounds pretty accurate to me. The three England players that didn't make it are essentially Sam Curran. So I've gone for Norkia over Curran. Joe Denley. So I've gone for Van der Deusen over Denley. And Joss Butler who had a very poor series. He averaged 16 with the bat, high score of 29, looked a bit frazzled at times. Is it, do you, do you think it could be the end of the road for Butler in test cricket, Tone? I think that's a bit hasty. I don't know. I, yeah, I think it would be, I think he, well, I, I, I would think he'd You're, be under more, <laughs> that's what, what. You're like really flustered by this question. Yeah. <laughs> I think he'd be under, if other questions hadn't been answered, mm. I think, Stop banging the table next to the recorder. I think there would have been more, yeah, more pressure on him. For me, I, I, can, I, I think you'd possibly give him a bit more time um, now that other things seem to have, yeah, if England can, uh, can, can or yeah, if the players at the top of the order can continue to, 
you know, to occupy time at the crease and, and put runs on the board, then then obviously Butler's Butler's position as a sort of a sl- somewhat a luxury player, you know, becomes a bit of a no-brainer to me. It's when England are struggling elsewhere that uh, you kind of wonder, you know, whether it's it's him being there is is a bit you know, as a luxury that they can't afford. So yeah, I'd, I'd persevere with him at the moment. You're definitely right that like. Yeah, like he's more likely to quote unquote get away with it or to to continue on in the team because England have won this series and won it comfortably. Like the success of the other players might be able to um, carry him along. Whereas if they'd you know if they'd lost this four nil and Butler had been in those performances, he would definitely be gone. I would want to give him more time, but I just don't know that he has ever quite looked like a Test player. He's trying to change the way he plays for test cricket, which is admirable to an extent, but I just don't know if he can do it. And he's not really played a lot of first cross cricket in his career and not had a lot of success in it when he has, like he's just against the red ball. He's not got a particularly good record. And so what are we basing it on that he can do it? And so, yes, if, if, if England can sort out their top six and then get Butler there as the kind of luxury player or the dynamic number seven, you can come in and, take the game, you know, come in at 300 for five and then just take the game away from the opposition. Like, that's fantastic. But at the moment, at least until this series, he's been coming in not at 300 for five, at 100 for five. But is he the best option to do that? Or are there other players who can do that better than he can? Like Ben Folks, for example. So, uh, uh, yeah, well, I'm having Butler in there for a bit longer, definitely. All right. So they'll get decided. <laughs> Past. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, overall, this was a pretty enjoyable series. I thought not super close in the end, but a couple of pretty competitive test matches and it just had quite a good feeling about it. Maybe just as an England fan, maybe it had less good feeling <laughs> for a South African, but it was very enjoyable to watch. I think England are off to Sri Lanka next, another team that's facing quite a few challenges in test cricket less than 18 months ago. They were there for a, a three nil whitewash. We'll obviously talk about this close to the time in more detail, but you know, do you, do you feel confident about England going there? after this result yeah i think yeah definitely i mean it's, it's a shame isn't it that that yeah test cricket is in this place i know not not everyone can be great all the time that's impossible but it, it yeah it's, it's a shame that you know, obviously england have been to the west indies who are where you go and you talk about how cricket's you know test cricket's struggling a bit and then they get to south africa and it's like well yeah mm. things are a bit fragile there and then they've gone to sri lanka and it's like well they're yeah it's kind of You'd rather it was going to Sri Lanka and it'd be like, oh, I can't wait to see yeah. so-and-so or, yeah, what, what you know. There's not many places where Test cricket's thriving yeah. either on or off the field, um, which is a worry for those of us who love it and prioritise it. But at least we've got the 100 to look forward to this summer. <laughs> yeah, so. true. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right. Well, a, a couple of other things to talk about just to, to finish, Tone. So don't need to say much about this, but uh, just quite an extraordinary T20 series in New Zealand. India are, are down there in the, in the land of the long white cloud. Uh, well, they've got a couple of test matches coming up as well, which I think could be a, a, a real a real good series, a real corking series. But they started off with five T20s, obviously the World T20 coming up in eight months' time. Uh, teams just beginning to build towards that. But t- just the quite extraordinary thing that the third and fourth T20s of this series both ended in super overs, both of which New Zealand lost. So after the World Cup final as well, three super overs in the space of six months uh, and New Zealand have lost them all. So the third game... Uh, both teams got 179. New Zealand chasing, just threw it away quite quite remarkably. They needed two to win with four balls left and lost two wickets and scored one run. Uh, and then they lost the super over. Uh, and then the fourth game, uh, New Zealand chasing a game were looking even more comfortable. Going into the last over, they needed seven to win uh, with seven wickets in hand. And they managed to lose four wickets uh, to end with another tie, another super over, and again, India won it. I mean, it's just, there's not really much to say about this day other than it's just, you know, remarkable. <laughs> you just can't really, you couldn't write that. You couldn't write the script. Yeah. And you, well, and obviously we're in a, in a world, in a T20 World Cup year. In a world. Um, so yeah, you know, New Zealand, yeah, you worry, well, you don't worry, but you, you sort of think, I'm, I'm not worrying. <laughs> Um, you did look rather worried <laughs> when I walked in today. Uh, but yeah, you know, that, that does become a thing, doesn't it? So, you know, if, if New Zealand find themselves in, in that situation, you know, in the T20 World Cup, it, you know, it could go either way. But you, you do wonder mentally how that would affect them in a super over context yeah. if it comes to it. Well, will it? Though? I mean, it, you don't see many super it's overs. True. It's quite extraordinary that they've had three in such a short space of time. But yes, New Zealand fans must be a little bit, uh, must be tearing their hair out at the moment. Well, moving on then, um, the Under-19 World Cup is going on at the moment in South Africa. And it's really made headlines uh, around the cricketing world in the last few days because of one incident in a game between Pakistan and Afghanistan. Pakistan were 127 for three, needing 63 more to win from 134 balls. So cruising in their chase. And Afghanistan bowler Noor Ahmad man-cadded, if that's the verb, Pakistan batsman Mohamed Herrera, who was 64 not out. Um, so I'm sure everyone knows what this is, but um, Noor Ahmad, the bowler, as he's running into bowl, knocks over the stumps, ran out uh, Herrera, who is the non-striking batsman and was slightly out of his ground as he was backing up. Um, now, the protocol normally would be to issue a warning, you know, to, to go, oi, hey, woo can't do that and then the and then only do that if if he continues to do it he didn't do that in this case there was no warning he just ran him out but you know but that is within the laws of the game and so um he was on his way Herrera but this is controversial in cricket we've talked about this several times on the podcast before so I don't necessarily want to open up like a whole you know 45 minute discussion about it again but um how did you feel when you saw this has happened you know it always sparks a debate the man cad doesn't it 
yeah um i don't know i don't know where i stand anymore to be honest like <laughs> most things um but i do know that i find it weird I, I find it there's a lot of people in the, in the cricket journalism world who just a seem to be absolutely thrilled by the mancad and like yeah. it's like the best thing the most pot, the most exciting thing that can happen on a cricket pitch mm-hmm. uh and, and also are bewildered that anyone would think otherwise yeah um which I'm myself bewildered by. It, You're it just, bewildered by their bewilderment. Yes. I, I, I don't know whether I actually, like, whether it makes me angry. It's just, I, I just, I just find it really boring. And yeah. I, I don't know. I do think maybe that the law does need to either be clarified or changed or tweaked just to, to either, I don't know. Because it, it was always the way that, it was always the unwritten law or unwritten rule, wasn't it? That, or whether it was written, I don't know. Yeah the unwritten or written rule that there would be a warning and that that's just, you didn't do it. So at some point, someone, there should have been some much more public clarification. I don't know, maybe there was, maybe I missed it. Well, I was going to say, they, they did actually, in fairness to them, they, they have changed the law slightly, which is possibly why, well, they haven't changed the law, they've clarified the law, which is possibly why we are seeing a few more of these incidents because they have, the MCC have tried to make it more clear that it is within the laws to do this and as, as in to try and, They've, they've explicitly tried to put the onus on the non-striking batsmen that they mustn't do that, that that if they are backing up too far and they're out of their ground, that they can be run out. Um, and have sort of tried to normalise it a bit more or make it more acceptable. But I, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. It's, it's slightly bizarre to me that it does inflame passion so much, the Mankad debate, because I don't know why people are either so disgusted by it or so gleeful when it happens. You know, I'm not a Mancad fan, but I don't think it's like the most heinous crime in cricket. I just think it's lame. Yeah. It's just boring. Just don't... It's not It's not something you want to see a highlight of, is yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, you want to see yeah. someone getting castled. You want to see a, a you know, great slip catch, whatever. Yeah. You don't want to see a little pathetic little, like, back... <laughs> it's it's yeah. back of the hand, isn't it? it? Is. It's a it's, slight of the hand. It's just, it's pointless. It's kind of... it's a high, It shouldn't be in the highlights. No, and also I just don't think it makes cricket better and I don't think it will make cricket better if this happens more or no. more to the point, if if bowlers are looking for it and trying to do it because do, do the people who love the mancats, do they want bowlers to be on the lookout for this all the time and, and they want bowlers to... Because you know, if that's the case and what's going to happen is bowlers are going to pull out of their run-up all the time and they might be wrong about and it. Try, yeah, and, and, and try and taking the stumps yeah. off. That would be so bad. It's just, you know, we've, I've said this before, but like when we were at school kids used to do it. There were some kids who thought it was so clever mm. and they were invariably dickheads. Yeah. It's, I just, like, it's like, it's the pedant's wicket, isn't yeah. it? And it also, I think it's, it smacks of desperation too. And that's, uh, to me, that's the case in this one. Like, it, I don't think it's any coincidence that Herrera, the one who was, this was done to, was on 64 and Pakistan were cruising. It's what you do or you only think about it in that sort of situation. Um, I don't think anyone's going to do it to a tail ender when the bowling team is you know well on course for victory I, I, yeah it just feels like you know, they they weren't able to get him out properly quote unquote properly mm. so they did this yeah i, I mean like okay, if it's part of the laws that's fine i kind of feel like actually is it it's kind of comparable to or comparable to bowlers running on the wicket almost in, in the follow through you know it's kind of should they should batsmen should the umpire just be looking for batsmen who are backing up too much and give them the warning like with a bowler running on, you know, running across the the pitch, is that how it should be treated? 
Yeah, well, you've you've made the suggestion before that a better solution would be one short. So, like, there obviously has to be some mechanism to stop batsmen backing up too far because otherwise, what's to stop them just like starting to sprint? <laughs> you know, when when the bowler's still a few yards away from the crease, or just like they could just wander out. At, you know, before the bowler even starts his run up, they could just be three, four yards down the down the wicket if there's no penalty for doing that. So there has to be something. There has to be some deterrent. Um, but for me, a much better deterrent would be a run penalty. Like I, I think, in terms of punishment fitting the crime, I don't mm. like. Especially if you watch the, this one that's just happened, he's literally like a couple of inches yeah. out, and you know, people would say, well, that's the same with stumpings or runouts, which is true, but it's just, it's just not good to watch. No. And I just don't, I don't want to see more of it. So if batsmen are doing it, uh, you know, it's probably a lot to ask the standing umpire to be looking at yet another thing, but you know, certainly at international level, they could be doing this with TV cameras. One short or even a five run penalty or do something like I also, that. Yeah. I, I also, I just don't know what, you know, how much advantage is actually gained from backing up? It, it's obviously something that was we were coached. You know, everyone's mm-hmm. is coached to do at a young age in the same way that you know you're coached to to be walking in in the field. It's just kind of it gets you. You're on the move rather than mm. starting from a stationary position. How much advantage is actually gained? I I, I don't know. I'm pretty dubious. Like it, it, obviously, it's you know you're, the non-striker is effectively at that point not involved in the game. So you're kind of just. It, you know, if we want to reduce cricket to just a, a, a sort of pedantry yeah. project, then that's fine. And I know people will say, well, you know, if the bowler oversteps, then it's a no ball and, you know, mm. they can't get a wicket and stuff. But I, I kind of, I don't, just, I don't really care. Yeah, it's just yeah, boring. I, and really I, care. I, like, I do definitely accept points that people make about this. Like it, it is, you know, ultimately you are right that it is on up to the non-strikers bats up to the non-striking batsman to stay in his crease but what just really irritates me is the kind of self-righteous absolutism of the mancad crowd that it's yeah and you made a really good point you, or you, we were talking yesterday oh, about it um <laughs> but not a really good point but you know you're right to point out there's this bizarre Conflammation is that the right word? Conf- conflation, conflation of like it, a lot of people seem to be guilty of it on on cricket Twitter. If yeah. you like uh, that, anyone who's anti mancad is something like like swivel eyed, like Brexit kind of Michael <laughs> <Yeah>. Vaughan esque. <laughs> it's like anti, you know, like pro money, pro guns. <laughs> like it's just like it's really it's weird, bizarre. It's gone one step further because it used to be that you couldn't be anti-mancad and like pro associate or like somehow if you're anti-mancad you must be some establishment yeah uh, like mcc yeah. like port and pies kind of yeah but now it's become if you're anti-mancad you must be some kind of right-wing lunatic <laughs> I, I just don't know how that's happened and i it, like while i definitely accept that they've got good points to make i what annoys me is that they don't seem to accept the same and I, there will be some people who are anti-mancad who are like they're disgusted by it and so there's kind of there is absolutists on both sides but i i don't quite get how people who love the mancad don't understand that there might be people who don't like it for valid reasons so there are valid arguments on the other side like jimmy anderson has come out and said that he wants the law changed that he he doesn't like the mancad and people are like oh jimmy anderson wrong again it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. england's greatest ever how bowler. can he be so yeah. wrong I need Great. to stop looking at Twitter. Too. It's not improving my life. Having said, having said, we don't really care about the man pack card. It's quite an animated kind of fifteen-minute discussion. 
Um, all right, should we wrap it up? Yeah, better wrap okay. it up. Let's not get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, you've been at B&Q for quite a while. <laughs> Much like the first month of 2020, this episode of the World Cricket Show has gone really well. Nothing whatsoever to be alarmed or enraged about. Nevertheless, I think it's probably time to bring it to an end. Have you enjoyed this one, Tone? Yeah, it's been good. Have a good weekend. I saw you yesterday, actually. Yeah. Uh, we went to the football. I brought brought my son, Teddy, to his first ever football match. Yeah. Against the FC. I'm not sure he really knew what was going on. He was asleep for most of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, starting starting young. He could be playing sort of holding midfield for Guernsey <laughs> FC in a few years. Yeah. Right back. Well, yeah, you were like, oh, he could be playing up front. I was like, well, you know, let's go. I'll get him. You know, set your sights. <laughs> set your sights more realistic. Go for that sort of water-carrying midfield. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, give and go. To be fair, in the world of Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, he'll be growing up in, you know, with you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold doing what he's doing. <laughs> world of Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> we now live in Trent's world. But he'll be growing up in a time when like, the right-back is like the, it's the glamour position. That's true, yeah. It's where everyone want to play. Whereas, yeah, when we were growing up, well, I played a lot of right-back in my time. Wasted at right-back. Trent Alexander-Arnold world. It would be a great theme park. <laughs> So as I said at the top of the show, there's lots happening at the moment. You were uh, you were hosting a black tie awards due the other night, the Channel Island Sports Awards. How was that? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, very well. Yeah, went smoothly. Mm. This is uh, the, uh, the I don't know what I can say about it really. The the how would you describe it? the premium the gala? Yeah, extravaganza in Channel Island Sport. Yeah, exactly. It's the uh, it's the big one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It is good. It's a good night. It's a it's a fun night. A lot of work goes into it over the month. But now that's behind me. I can actually get on with 2020 now. I'm not looking back at last year, which is nice. You did say yesterday. I was uh, I was disappointed that you didn't come to Park Run yesterday, and you were like, "No, nah, yeah, I need to. I need to get running. Uh, I, I meant to do a lot of running. <laughs> like, meant to do a lot of running in January, but with the sports awards and just the weather's been awful. But <laughs> but come the summer, <laughs> I'll, I'll be, it's like." <laughs> 2020 is not going well, but 2021, that's, that's going to be my year of <laughs> yeah, running. I've written it off already. <laughs> well, we've signed up to do a marathon relay, haven't we? So yeah. well, you've signed me up anyway. That's more more to the point. Yeah, I just I just did it. It's not too, I mean, to be fair, it's, not, a, like, it's a team of five. It's pretty easy. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to make out that I'm sort of some sort of hero for, <laughs> for signing up to do five miles. Yeah, it's not actually that far. But I think in a way, it's kind of, it's a nice counterpoint to the, you know, the people now who are just desperate to do longer and longer ultras. But let's just do shorter and shorter marathon relays. Yeah, teams of sort of twenty six. Yeah, great. exactly. Running, you'd rattle around fifty meters. Yeah, get a medal at the end that says you've run a marathon. Well, yeah, maybe you can find a bit more time to do some running now, Tony. Now that you've got the sports awards behind you, you this is one of the reasons why we've uh, had a bit of a, a break on the on the pod because uh, you've claimed you claimed you were too busy to record because you had to prep for the sports awards. Um, but I actually bumped into Emily, your girlfriend, during the week. And I was like, oh, how's it going here? What did you guys get up to last night? She's like, oh, not much. I mean, <laughs> it's only just stayed in, watched a couple of episodes of Naked Attraction. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all yeah. oh, right. He said he couldn't record the podcast. I assumed it was for, uh, I assumed it was because he was at work. I'm going to have to get her on, on point with the story. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the wi- well, I'm watching The Wire as well at the moment. I feel like, you, yeah, you might have bugged, you might <laughs> Sort of bug the house 
tap my pager to <laughs> see where I am. I've tapped the payphone outside your house. <laughs> yeah. Just waiting on the roof opposite. <laughs> he's, on, yeah. he's on the phone. I know you've been watching the work because you've started using the word I yeah, a lot. quite a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be back soon to talk about something. Um, things should be calming down a bit now. I know we've been saying that for a while, but yeah, sports awards are behind Tony. Come Tuesday, I'll have moved house. Um, so yeah, we can uh, we can get back onto a more regular podcast schedule. Obviously, we're a bit less frequent at the moment than we used to be, but uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get back on it properly. And we're certainly not binning the podcast, despite what many people might have been calling for. Still going to be doing this when we're in our old people's home. Today. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, we'll be back soon. But bef- but between now and then, if you enjoy the podcast, you can get involved on social media. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. And we're on Instagram. You can send us an email, worldcricketshow at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, uh, you can either sign up on Patreon and give us some of your cash uh, or just uh, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform that you use. And the one other thing to say is that we, although we didn't find time to record a cricket podcast, we did find time to record a film podcast. We do have another podcast, the Little Film Podcast. I've said the word podcast about... 500 times in the last three sentences um but yeah we we recorded a review of star wars the rise of skywalker that is available now both the podcast and the movie uh so go and listen to that if you haven't yet uh but that's it from us then tone until we meet again stay in school everyone and we'll talk to you soon bye-bye for now yeah cherry To smell your fear, ba da da ba 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 Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.